Hey, Parker. Hey, Carrie. How are you? Good, good. Um, except it's pretty cold right now in our part of the planet. Yeah, well, don't try to pull that on me because you just got back from Florida, I do believe. Oh, yep. I was doing some shows in Florida. So you're not really in a position to complain about <laughs> cold weather. Well, you know, that was the smart tour south in January, but, you know, actually I'll be later on going up to Minnesota. Up to the Boundary Waters on the Canadian border? In in February, yeah. Oh, well, then there is justice in this universe, (laughs) and I'm glad to know it. And and speaking of justice, welcome to The Growing Edge. I'm Carrie Newcomer. And I'm Parker Palmer, and I'm giving you a hard time. Yeah, yeah, rightly so. (laughs) (laughs) To the words and habit to us and how we live between the words. So as winter stretches on into February on our patch of the planet, nature maintains a state of stillness and hibernation in order to nurture its own growing edges. And we get the urge to take a long nap, at least I do. But we live in a culture that values and sometimes requires speeding. So slowing down can make us feel like we're falling behind or being lazy, even though our slowdown may be caused by exhaustion or illness, a sense of loss about how much we miss when we speed, a sense that we're running towards someplace we really don't want to go, or the simple need to lie fallow and renew our spirits. So here's our question, our February question of the month. Uh, What is your experience with slowing, stopping, and lying low for a while, whether by choice or necessity? What feelings does this generate in you? What gains and or losses have you experienced by getting off the fast track for a little while? That's a good question. You know, earlier this month, <clears throat> I went on a week-long retreat, this, this month being January. I do it every January for a week of silence and solitude out in the woods. And, and I've, I've done it for a number of years now, renting a very simple cabin in the Wisconsin woods a couple of hours from my home, taking enough groceries to get me through the week, and um, some books, and some writing equipment, um, knowing that at the end of, of December, I'm pretty tuckered out and I need the rest. I need, I need the quietude. I need, I think, to recover my right mind. So, you know, it's a week that I anticipate all year long. And yet every year, and I'm, I'm, this is very fresh with me right now because I just finished that retreat Every year after the second or third day of my retreat, I start to feeling guilty about being on retreat. I start oh. to feel like a useless person. I start to feel like I'm not getting anything accomplished and I'm supposed to get things accomplished. That's kind of been my programming my whole life. Ironically, so I, I had this voluntary silence and solitude for a week that I chose and set up as I do every year. And on the third day, when I was getting antsy about 
not getting anything done, I thought, well, at, at least I can get out and take a good hike in the woods. So I put my boots on and started tramping through the leaves and, and the snow. And about halfway into this deep woods, my left foot caught on a root and I slammed down on the winter ground. Yikes. Leading oh my with my left shin, which still hurts like crazy, and slightly spraining my right wrist. In fact, my shin hurt oh, no. so much that 24 hours later, I felt a need to drive to an ER and get an x-ray to see if I had a hairline fracture. But <laughs> once once I got past the, the initial impact of the experience, I thought, isn't this interesting? The universe saw that I'm no good at voluntarily slowing down. So they're going to slow me down involuntarily instead. Just make certain that I really can't do anything this week except sit and stare into the fire and, you know, read the messages of the flames like you would read tea leaves or sit and stare out the window, watch the birds come to the feeder, watch the sunset, watch the sunrise. And it really became quite lovely. But it was sort of that cosmic two by four that you talk about sometimes that it took to get me into that place of stillness and hibernation. Wow. Well, I, at first I'm so sorry to hear that, you know, you, you took that fall and, um, and hurt your, your leg and your wrist, but, but gosh, yeah. Um, <laughs> knowing you for, for, uh, the time we've known one another now, I know how much you look forward to these uh, retreats, these January silent retreats you go on. But uh, every one that I have heard about usually has this moment of, and and then I was restless, mm-hmm. you know, and then I needed to get something done, mm-hmm. and right. uh, and there was usually some arc to that. In your description, it seems to be uh, uh, consistent, but. <sighs> Not with, you know, taking a fall, <laughs> getting totally, like, now you're not going to walk around anymore. You're going to sit by the fire. You know? Yeah, so, well, I, 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 I have put, I, I keep a list every year of things I need and things I don't need. And, and my list for next year is I don't need to fall. So yeah, I, good one. I, I've got that nailed. Even though I'm practiced at this, even though I, I love this practice, even though I look forward to it, after a fairly short period of time, my programming kicks back in. And I think the wake-up call there is for me to be aware of how deeply programmed I I am to be in constant motion. I guess they talk about sharks, I guess, having to keep moving in in order to stay alive, to, I guess, process the water through their gills and get oxygen out of it. But but what what about you? How are you with moving at the speed of soul, which is something you've written and and talked about quite a bit. Yeah, I have a, a song called The Speed of Soul. And often I, I don't write songs because I know something. I, I usually write songs because I'm learning something or I'm mm. asking something. Mm. And this question of what does it mean to travel at the speed of my own soul? You know, um, we live in a very busy culture, so we are encouraged to be busy, productive, always, you know, moving, achieving. Um, so we get that from from all around us. Um, 
And at the same time, personally, I'm also a person that is, um, I'm a hard worker. I'm passionate about what I do. I mm-hmm. care about my family and my my friends and my community and the world. And I want to take action each day to, you know, to be, you know, part of that and, and caretaking in that. And um, I live a passionate life. I'm creatively very restless person, you know. Gosh, it's time to make mm-hmm. something, you right, know. Right. Um, Is that so, what accounts for seventeen albums or something? <laughs> like Nineteen, but who's counting? <laughs> 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 yeah. But, anyways, but yeah, it doesn't come to me naturally. It's not enforced by the culture around me, and as a person, uh, it's it doesn't come to me naturally. So I have to think very intentionally about this idea of the speed of my own soul, you know? So, let me ask you a question that's really hard for me, and I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, so I confess up oh, front that go right ahead. I'm just not sure. <laughs> I'm just not sure of the answer. Um, if you were forced to stop by circumstance, to stop moving as much as you do, either in terms of touring or creating, would you still know who you are? Would you still have a sense of self? Would you still feel like you had a place to stand in the world Gosh. just because of your being and not your doing? You know, gosh, that's such an important question. It really is. And there have been times in my life that I've been forced to stop. And and it's a really disorienting experience. And sometimes that happens to people have, you know, through illness or circumstance. But um, sometimes we choose intentionally, like we were talking about. And, uh, and sometimes it comes involuntarily, as you also talked about. <laughs> and I have to say, it's good for me. It's been really good for me. Um, time periods when... I had to stop for a while and say, who am I when I'm not in perpetual motion? Mm -hmm. This one's because of a particular illness, so I had to stop for a while. But who am I if I'm not in perpetual motion, if I'm not being productive in the way that the world calls productive? Mm -hmm. And it's been really good for me. How do you you think it's been good for you, Carrie? Well, um, I have to separate myself from the ego part of doing, Mm -hmm. you know. I'm doing this because of, you know, it's my job, or this is because I'm an artist, so I'm supposed to produce, or, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of ego in there, and um, I have to separate myself from that piece of it. And then also, just the forcing, the moment of, of silence, of integration. Some things can only happen when you take a break. Mm-hmm. Some things can only grow when you give them space, there have been times in my life, in one, like the times you're talking about, when I look and what's happening to me right now feels suspiciously like a hole. <laughs> it's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. That looks suspiciously like a hole in my life. <laughs> but then at closer um, regard, it's not actually a hole. It's a space. Mm-hmm. And it's a space that, and unless things had opened up like that, you know, what's waiting to be born, what's trying to get my attention that could never have been born or never could have gotten my attention 
without that opening up of space. Those, those things you miss when you're moving at 110 miles an hour um, or, or have an agenda that's so full you can't breathe. Or, you know, just have a busy, active life, you know. Mm. Um, you know, I have a song called The Point of Arrival where, you know, arrivals, every ending is a beginning. And there's mm. that moment where you look down at your empty hands, what looks like suspiciously like a hole, Mm-hmm. And you realize that it's filled up with something, but mm-hmm. it's filled up with light. It's filled up with something that c- you could have never experienced or seen or stepped into without it first emptying out a little bit. That reminds me, th- those hands that look empty but really aren't. You discover that there's something there, something good there, right? So- something growing, something gestating something starting to become, if I understand you right. Yes, Um, It reminds me of a very powerful experience I had on my retreat just a a week ago. Mm -hmm. I brought with me some journals that I discovered from 40 years ago, a couple of very thick, very detailed journals that were from a period of real anguish in my life. Mm. I was a really tortured soul. And, and the journals were really an effort, you know, to, to stay alive in the middle of a period of time when, when this disease called depression had just rendered me motionless and meaningless. I mean, talk about slowing and stopping. And that's where I was when I was writing these journals and just page after page of despair and and. As I read on, I I thought, I'm amazed at two things. I'm amazed that, first of all, I could find the words and keep writing uh, about this uh, um, because there was so much pain in it. Who who wants Mm. to replicate the pain on the the page? Although that's also therapeutic, and I'm sure that's what kept me going. But the, the second amazement I had was that I survived this period in my life, which was so intense. Yeah. And suddenly, after about, I don't know, 100 pages in this very thick notebook, the writing stopped. It just, bang, stopped in, in sort of mid-sentence, as it were. Yeah. And I flipped the page, and I flipped another page, and I flipped another page, and I, I think I flipped 50 blank pages asking myself, is anything else here? And I finally got to a page towards the end. I saw some a very brief paragraph on it. And it was all about how my will was gone, my ego was gone, my hope was gone. All I had with was the void, but the void was filled with love. Oh, that's what it said. That's what it said. And that was the end of that journal after 50 empty pages where it felt like I was falling into the void as I flipped through them, you know, wondering, is this the hole that I fell into? But that, but a kind of revelation at the end and the void is filled with love. You know, love is not something I, that I create. Love is not something that I manufacture. Love is not something that I earn. The void is filled with love. It's, it's, it, 
apparently what I saw at the time was that love is the constitutive element of reality. And I was so strongly reminded of that when you said, and those empty hands actually hold something precious and fecund and, and, and growing. Um, that was an amazing moment to discover that in journals that were 40 years old that I hadn't read since I wrote them when I was in my early 40s. Parker, what an incredibly powerful story. And part of the power of it is that you took time in your life to go, go and go on retreat, to take this time to sit by the fire and read those journals. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, in the busy days of your life, I'm not sure you would have done that. And, and what a thing to uh, recall and remember that, that even in the darkness, it is filled with love. Yeah. That the, there is something there. It's a miracle. Yeah, it, that, that's how it felt. That's how it felt. And it also felt like a miracle that I'd almost broken my leg the day before or I wouldn't have been sitting by the fire reading my journals. Reading, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we sort well, of came full circle. <laughs> yeah, those, those moments when, yeah, you look at your hands that look, first look so empty and they're filled with hallelujah. Actually, as, as I was reading those journals, I, I thought of a song of yours um, called Learning to Sit with Not Knowing. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, because as I read this thing, obviously I thought these journals were written over a period of months, 40 years ago, six, yeah. seven, eight months. And I was sitting with not knowing. And as you know, you sent me an MP3, a little sound file of that song. And I actually played it a couple of times during that retreat. Oh, I, I would love it if you felt okay about singing it right now. Oh, sure. I'd, lo- I'd love to. Um, yeah, learning to sit with not knowing. Um, <laughs> sometimes I get really impatient with myself. I think, you know, uh, this, this has been an MO. Like, gosh, shouldn't I be enlightened by now? Like, I've read all Parker's books. I should probably <laughs> be enlightened by now. I, I give but, <laughs> you, I'll give you your money back. <laughs> <laughs> but no, here I am still trying to figure it out. Um, and, and, I, and I make a joke and I laugh, but, but it is something to, to sit, to learn to be with the process. You know, now, before you noticed that your hands were filled with hallelujah, you had to kind of be with that process for a long, there were 50 pages yeah. of that process of getting there. And um, so the song is really about this idea of being with the process, knowing that some things only happen in time, you know, to be kinder to myself. There's a line to lay my hand where my heart aches. You know, to to stop feeling I'm always a day behind, but to just be right where I am at this moment and be all right with that, yeah. uh, because I'm right where I need to be yeah. uh, in this moment. So yeah, so let me get my guitar. And, and I, I love. The, I have to tell you, I don't. I don't think I've ever said this to you. I love the title because usually the word learning is followed by learning mathematics, learning literature, you know, learning <laughs> uh, differential calculations. This is learning to sit with not knowing. This is, this is learning to sit with empty hands, right? And, and, uh, and, and what I don't know just yet, but I, I sense is coming. 
you know, and I, I think sometimes, you know, when we talk about the growing edge, that there, there is that moment in, in a growing process where um, you've come a, a long way, you know, you've, you've felt the inkling, you've, you've felt the nudge, um, uh, you've been moving towards something that might feel risky or uncomfortable, and then you reach that point where I, I'm too far along, I, I've seen too much, I know too much, I can't go back even if it seems like it, it would be kind of um, attractive to go back to what was comfortable. But I'm not there yet. I'm not at that next place yet. I'm still learning. I'm in process. So uh, it really is kind of a, a growing edge moment when we talk about here I am. I, I can't go back now, but I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like mm-hmm. yet. Right. Great uncertainty. Learn to sit without knowing When I don't see where it's going Cool my heels and start slowing I'm learning to sit with not knowing I'm learning to live with what's next What if in my best Guess be kinder when it's a process. I'm learning to live with what's next. Here's a clear space that I've chosen where the denseness of this world opens. Where there's something holding steady and true Regardless of me or you I'm learning to live with the high stakes Befriending my mistakes I lay my hand where my heart aches I'm learning to Here's a clear space that I've chosen Where the denseness of this world opens Where there's something holding steady and true Regardless of me or you Learning to live with what takes time The ribbon across some finish line Stop feeling I'm always a day behind I'm learning to live with what takes time I'm learning to live with not knowing I don't see where it's going Cool my heels and stop slowing 
learning to sit with not knowing. Learning to sit with not knowing. Learning to sit with not knowing. So thank you, Carrie. I, I, as I said, I really love that song and hearing it again this time. Um, there was a lyric or two that really jumped out at me given my recent experience and what I'm looking at down the road. Um, and I think that learning to, uh, what was it, to, to love my mistakes? Oh, befriending my mistakes. Be befriend my mistakes, yeah, which is close to loving them, um, is a great line. And Thank you. it's for, for me, it's been a big part of the aging process. And I, I was thinking about this on my retreat because in February, when this, when this podcast uh, goes out, I'm, that's the month when I turn 80. And that was, you know, part of my retreat was looking at that coming milestone, that, that mm -hmm. round birthday, as they call them in Scandinavia, and realizing it, I'm really old. <laughs> 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 no. I, I, I even wrote a book about it for goodness sakes so I can't I can't I can't blink this anymore nobody's carding me you know in bars or <laughs> for, you know when I ask for the senior discount nobody challenges me I, I don't understand this but it just isn't happening anymore and I think that learning to befriend my mistakes and learning to trust what's coming is a big part of the aging process that that mm. sadly I see a lot of elders not getting much help with and and not not being able to wrap their heads and hearts around I I see so many elders who are filled with regret about the mistakes they they've made in life and God knows I've made a bunch of mistakes um, no and, not you uh, yeah, I did back in one one back in 1957 and one yeah. in 68. I think yeah. <laughs> it's a short list, but <laughs> made a few. <laughs> but you know, those journals of anguish were to some in in certain respects about mistakes I had made in my life, bad decisions and paths that I should never have started walking down and and goals that were unrealistic and, and setups for personal failure, you know. So um, the song just sort of brought all that back. And I, I, I have to say that at the, that at the end of a retreat week that was challenging and difficult in many ways, I'm so grateful for the space and the time to have embraced or re-embraced a whole lot of things that are going to become more and more important as my next years go by, however many I, I may have remaining. Because all of this is just an inevitable and an inexorable part of the aging process. To embrace your mistakes without debilitating regret, mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to trust what's coming in a pretty radical way because what's coming is a big mystery, yeah. you know. No, I, I, I'm not privy to reports from the other side, yeah. so I don't have any idea what's coming. Some people get memos on that, I yeah. guess, but I'm yeah. not one of them. <laughs> um, and 
And, and yet, as I wrote in the book, um, I have no bad memories of the mystery from which I came, so I see no reason to fear the mystery to which I'm returning. And, and all of that was, uh, as the week went on, challenging as the week was, and complicated as it was in certain respects, it, it also became simpler and simpler, more and more light-filled, more and more grace-filled, and I did, I did come home, you know, for a while at least, uh, in a new space hmm. and with a new way of, of looking at life and embracing all that, it, all that it has to offer, including its challenges to my sense of self and identity and meaning and purpose. Well, Parker, I just, I, I'm so grateful that you're willing to talk so honestly. You know, we live in a culture that is terrified of aging. You know, we, we live in a very youth-oriented culture and, uh, and that we're terrified of aging and definitely terrified to talk about uh, dying. I mean, you know, what what is the natural process of life, you know, we, and the arcs uh, that we are experiencing at any place on the arc. You know, we're just it's we're not real comfortable with that. And I'm so grateful that you, you speak so honestly and humanly um, and and clearly about your process with this. It's such a I think it's such a gift. And, you know, I think so many of us are thinking about, you know, what is you know, what is what does this mean in the at this place, this arc in my life? You know. Um, Thank you. And, you know, I I feel the same way about your work, Carrie, about the new album, for example, where you're very open about a process that has been ongoing in your life around yeah. a whole lot of different questions and issues that that most people, um, again, don't face into and certainly don't want to express themselves about. I mean, at, 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 you know, among others, this whole this whole capacity to say, I don't know the answer to this big question. I, and, yeah. and my leadership, my leadership, my cultural leadership, my artistic leadership is going to consist of acknowledging that fact and making something of, of beauty out of that fact. I mean, that's, that's, I, I think of that as alchemy, you know, uh, yeah. turning what most people think of as dross into gold. And I think your work has, has done that for a long time. And I think what both you and I know is that we hope, we hope that doing this kind of work is a gift to others, the work of being as honest as we know how about ourselves and our experience, talking about things that the culture doesn't like to talk about or want to talk about, in fact, actively avoids. We hope it's it's of use to others, but we know that it's life-giving for us, right? We know it's life-giving for us. And I, I also, it just conversation after conversation, and I'm sure this has happened with you too, um, we're not the only ones thinking about this. You know, we're not the only people on the planet who are wrestling with process or unknowing and um, you know, thinking about, you know, what does it mean when I stop? Who am I? And uh, how do I how do I intentionally, voluntarily, you know, take time for myself? We're not the only ones who are asking these questions. You know, there's a great kinship between you and I, but I think a kinship with, you know, everyone else who yeah. I, I think 
are wrestling many of the same human things that we are. Um, I, I usually say that, you know, when I'm writing songs, I use my personal details because that's rich, you know, makes it rich. But um, I have no no interest in like putting my journal out there or my diary. I just, I don't have any interest in that. I really only have interest in, in writing what we, about what we both recognize, you know, that, that when it's my story, but it's also your story, Parker, and it's also a human story. That's what I'm interested in. And yeah, me too. Or else, or else I just have my journals and I just leave them at that, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, that if, if I were to publish the journals I read on retreat, my career as a writer would be over. (laughs) (laughs) People would say, who is this miserable, sad sack of a guy who just can't seem to get his act together week after week, month after month? What's wrong with this person? You know, somebody go cheer him up. <laughs> I, I actually was on retreat once at a convent, a wonderful convent in Kentucky, run by the Sisters of Loretto, and I was in. It was in the same period of time in, in my life, and I was sitting eating a meal, thinking that I was, you know, just eating a meal, and this nun came by, and you know how wonderful some nuns can be these these elder wise women, yes, absolutely, especially the ones with a sense of humor. And uh, you know, sort of flying nuns in their own way. I mean, they they don't take they don't they take themselves lightly. So they, and and she stopped at the, my table and looked down at me, and I looked up at her, expecting her to I don't know what bless my food or something. And she said, "It really isn't that bad." <laughs> <laughs> and then she just walked on. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and I, I, I still had enough of myself left to think. I think I was just visited by an angel, you know. Yeah. So, but um, the world does not need to worry about me publishing those journals. Well, <laughs> well, this is you know talking about. Okay, we both have our our, our nun story. So this is my most recent. A couple of weeks ago, um, I did a workshop and a concert, and um, uh, a community of sisters was part of, of the community that put on uh, the workshop. And so I'm having breakfast in the morning, same sort of idea. And uh, this wonderful woman uh, comes up to me and had, we have breakfast together and she starts telling me about her life. And she had done so many things. Oh my God, she had, like she was an educator and got a PhD and she was like, she, she was taking students all over the world to do social justice work. I mean, she's, you know, you know in huts, during apartheid in South Africa and, and mm. you know, protecting the rainforest from, you know, the, the loss of, of homeland for the indigenous people. And I mean, she, this woman was just, like, amazing. And she, she's in her 80s. And, and I says, wow, I mean, just what, what an incredible story you're telling me. She says, yeah. Mm. And these days, I'm closer to home. And she's doing hospice work. She And she said, mm. and I, I do hospice work because... I really believe, you know, that people at whatever place they are, you know, they can learn, they can be creative, they can live, even mm-hmm. at the end of life. And it was just so beautiful. And then she said, but, you know, you got to balance this stuff out. So once a week I go volunteer at the YMCA and, and with two-year-olds, you know, <laughs> and, and I just, I just wanted to you know, kiss her on the lips, you know, I just, mm-hmm. right, I just right. you know, this, this woman, because 
she'd had uh, so many different kinds of experiences in her life. And in some ways, some people would say her life had gotten smaller mm-hmm. because she wasn't, you know, traveling around the world anymore. Her her world had not gotten any smaller at all. Her world was still incredibly expansive because of the way she was um, living her life, the kind of interactions she was having with people, just how potent her life was. It was just it was just so inspiring to me. It's like we can live expansive lives even when we we don't seem to be moving as fast as maybe we yeah, used absolutely. to be or yeah, someone absolutely. thinks that that's you know that's movement it's like no it was yeah. incredibly expansive and yeah. it's like you just inspired the heck out of me sister you know it was it was a wonderful moment and i had again thinking about this idea of the speed of soul you know she's traveling at the speed of her own soul she was then and she is now you know and 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 i can i can learn a lot from that I think I just found a, a role model for my own aging, so I, I, I need to get her email address. I'm sure she's on email, so yeah. we can, <laughs> we can start, open, up a, open up a correspondence. But, you know, we're probably at the point where we have to start winding this podcast down, but this just brings to mind one more point that I'd like to make that's actually been growing in me as we've talked. Um, I'm, I'm an amateur student of astronomy. I, I love learning astronomical facts, and I think I love it because it blows me away with how big what's out there is, mm-hmm. humongously, unimaginably big, and how tiny, 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 infinitesimal I am in the context of all of that. It, I think it's about perspective, which I think is a very big piece of living your life, a very big piece of getting that that uh, overweening ego under control of, of a very big piece of somehow thinking that everything depends on me and what I do, you know, so I better, I better keep at it 24-7. But what I've realized over the years, and it grows on me now with age, which does bring limits in terms of, you know, how much traveling I'm able to do, how far I'm able to go, um, what new physical adventures I can, I can undertake. What comes to me increasingly is that the biggest cosmos of all is the one inside of us. Mm, it's, yes. it's the cosmos of the heart and the mind, the cosmos of the human spirit and of human imagination. And your story of the nun really brings that to mind because it's not only that she's doing these things in her local environment, doing what's within reach for someone in her situation, but it's also that she has the imagination to kind of wander the world and see what 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 the needs are, and wander her inner world and see what her gifts are, and keep trying to match the two up to intersect the two in fruitful and creative ways. Yeah, um, I, I've known many people in their elder years who had very little of what we would call an active or externalized life, but they had a huge inner life, a vast, cosmic inner life. Yes. And they were constantly going on adventures in that inner realm of both reality and possibility. And I I think that slowing down and getting still and 
wintering through those seasons in our own lives when we just can't get out there uh, because our, our lives are at risk if we do. Um, is, a, is a great way to learn more about the vastness of your inner landscape, your, your inner cosmos. Um, and I find that a very exciting prospect as I move deeper into what are very likely to be more physically <clears throat> limited and limiting elder years. Again, I'm so grateful for you, the way you, you speak about this so eloquently and, and honestly and humanly. And also, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this idea of the inner cosmos, the inner landscape, that it's something that at any point in our life, you have to stop long enough, be still long enough, pay attention in a certain kind of way to expand that that inner life, that inner world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's possible at, at any point in a person's life. Absolutely. And maybe that takes us to the poem that I think we both wanted to close out with in honor of Mary Oliver, who, uh, who died in mid-January, in fact, while I was on retreat. Mm. I think it may have been the 17th that she died at age 83, this great, great American poet that we love and that so many people love, who wrote this beautiful poem called The Summer Day, which both of us regard as a kind of amazing poetic summation of our February question of the month. Well, would you read it? Quite by accident, I have it right before me. (laughs) 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 So here's The Summer Day by Mary Oliver with uh, a deep bow, that great life, that great body of work, Mm -hmm. that very remarkable human being whose voice in one way is now stilled but whose voice will keep speaking to us for a very long time to come. The Summer Day by Mary Oliver Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do? with your one wild and precious life. (music) 
You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you'll check out our next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation, too. And now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and to bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard in today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Alison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, production, and because she is one wild and precious life. <laughs>